Hey, we're certainly glad that you're here today. If you're watching online or you're here in the center or in the chapel, glad to be together today. Ineffective and unproductive. Two words, ineffective, unproductive. Those are words that I don't think any of us want to be described as ineffective, unproductive. So can you imagine somebody came up to you and were like, you know, you are the most ineffective and unproductive person in our whole work environment. High five. Would, would you be good with that? Like you, when you manage money and time, you are so incredibly ineffective and unproductive. Hey mom, you are the most ineffective and unproductive mother I could even possibly imagine. High five. Like, I think it's fair to say nobody wants those two words to describe them, whether you're a worker, craftsman, financial planner, parent, student, ineffective, unproductive student. No, you don't want that to be. We want to be productive as humans, effective in whatever we put our hands to, our minds to. It's just true. It's just what we want. Because to be un, ineffective and unproductive means we'd be aimless, purposeless, in many ways, useless. What are you doing if you're unaffected, unproductive? What's it like when it comes to our faith? I don't think we think about this, but can you imagine if someone would ask you this question, is your faith in Jesus Christ ineffective and unproductive? Is that how your faith could be described? You go, I never thought of that. But imagine, you've placed your faith and trust in Jesus. You recognize that you're a sinner, you need help. You need Jesus. You get to the point. You finish the race. You stand before God Almighty. He welcomes you into his eternal kingdom, and he says, hey, while you lived on earth, you were ineffective and unproductive. I mean, do you know that's a possibility? Do you know that is something he could say to describe your life, your faith. See, we, we don't talk about this, but this idea of fighting to the finish, we're working through our, this sermon series, and, and following Jesus is incredibly rewarding, incredibly great, also can be incredibly hard. There's challenges, there's difficulties, and it would be easy to think that we could put our faith and trust in Jesus and then just coast, put it into autopilot. One day I'll see him face to face. One day I'll get close to the finish line. One day it'll all be over. Between now and then, as long as I got my Jesus card, I'm good. I won't go to hell. And therefore, ah, I'm kind of asleep. But Peter is going to challenge us today. There is a way to live as a Christian that you're ineffective and unproductive. We've got to look at this, explore this. So open up your Bibles if you have them to 2 Peter chapter 1. You can turn your Bibles on, paper copies, great, whichever way you'd like to follow along. But we're in 2 Peter, so we spent a number of months working our way through Peter's first letter that he wrote, a follower of Jesus. He writes his first letter, 1 Peter, to a bunch of specific churches. Now he writes a second letter, and this letter that he writes is more general in nature. He doesn't have a specific target audience, but to all Christians. And there are some similar common themes from 1 Peter to 2 Peter that I think you'll pick up on. First, excuse me, 2 Peter chapter 1, verse 1, Simon Peter, a servant and an apostle of Jesus Christ. He's identifying himself. To those who through the righteousness of our God and Savior, Jesus Christ, have received a faith as precious as ours. 
Grace and peace be yours in abundance through the knowledge of God and of Jesus our Lord. He's greeting them. He's bringing them into this common language, common understanding. He's going to share some thoughts after this. But what I think you're going to notice as we go through this letter that's different than the previous one is Peter's tone is going to be different. He's going to be a little more direct. There's going to be a little bit more urgency in what he writes because he writes this second letter about a year before he dies. Peter is martyred, crucified for his faith in Jesus Christ. About a year before, writes this letter. And I think he knows the end is near for him. The fight is going to be over soon. So he writes this, and what you're going to see is an urgency to what he's saying. He's leaning into this moment and going, okay, follower of Jesus, no matter what difficulty you face, keep growing. Okay, follower of Jesus, one of the things he's going to pick up, a theme he's going to pick up in this letter, he's going to warn against false teaching, that there are going to be people that are going to try to distort the truth of God. That as I pass away, and as other eyewitnesses of Jesus pass away, that there'll be more and more people that will try to turn, distort, teach the wrong message about Jesus Christ. He wants to warn people about false teaching. He's also in this letter going to encourage us that Jesus is going to return. His return is imminent. It can happen at any time. The tone of his letter, his writing, is a tone of urgency. And even as I think about preaching these sermons over the last number of weeks, I'm going to say to you, there's a tone of urgency in my voice. That there is a deep sense within me that I want to prepare the family of God here at Faith Church with all the truth of God, the full diet, so to speak. Because sometimes in our faith, we can eat all the Jesus jelly donuts that taste real good. And we don't want to dig into the deeper filet mignon meat of what's there. But to only eat Jesus jelly donuts is to leave your life without the right diet and you will get sick. When you go deeper into some of this stuff, there's an urgency to it. There's a depth to it. There's conversations that you don't maybe normally have about getting to the finish line and how you're going to answer God, effective and unproductive or unaffected and unproductive. There's these topics that we lean into because there's a time and place to have a steady, full diet of truth. So lean in with me. Before Peter begins some more practical instructions in this section of the Scripture, he's going to remind them of their common faith. He says in verse 3, God's divine power has given us everything we need for a godly life through our knowledge of Him who's called us by His own glory and goodness. Through these, He has given us His very great and precious promises, so that through them you may participate in the divine nature, having escaped the corruption of the world caused by evil desires. In His divine power, He's given us everything we need so that we can participate in the divine nature. He's reminding the people that are reading this, you've placed your faith and trust in Jesus. You're sinners. Couldn't save yourself, but God in His mercy, His grace has provided to you Christ, 
You've placed your faith in Christ, and now do you understand that in Christ we can live a godly life and we can act like God's children. It isn't just that He's forgiven you from your sins and you don't have to fear hell. He has you here for a reason that you can live a godly life and act like God, that in Christ you have everything you need to live a God-honoring life, to figure out God's will, to walk in God's will, to obey God's commandments, to look like God. Um, you are a son, a daughter of the Most High God by faith in Jesus Christ. That's who you are. This is bigger than just you get out of hell. That He has a purpose for your life while you walk and as you wait. It isn't go to sleep and wake up one day and I'll be with Jesus. I'll just coast. I'll just chill. I'll just do what I want. I'll just follow whatever appetites and feelings I have. No, He's got a purpose for you and me, that we can live godly lives that represent God in every possible way. He wants us to be awake to the resources and responsibilities, the joy and the privilege of being sons and daughters of Almighty God. So he, he starts out really big, reminding us of who we are in Christ, and now he's going to get practical. Verse 5, for this very reason, in light of the fact that you're a Christ follower, in light of the fact that He's living inside you, in light of the fact that you have everything you need, make every effort to add to your faith goodness, and to goodness, knowledge, and to knowledge, self-control, and to self-control, perseverance, and to perseverance, godliness, and to godliness, mutual affection, and to mutual affection, love. Make every effort to add these things to your faith. Now, what this is not, this is not a list of things that you have to do to earn God's approval. This is not a to-do list of, I'm going to wake up today, I'm going to be more godly, more knowledge, and more self-control, have greater perseverance, and if I do all these things, God will welcome me and like me, and yay, God. No, that's not what this is. This is, you've placed your faith and trust in Jesus, and now while you wait to see Jesus face to face, here's what you should pursue. This is what you should add to your faith. If you're awake, if you're alive, it's not coast, sleep, float, wake up and you'll be with Jesus. It's a life of purpose. Add, supplement, grow in goodness, knowledge, self-control, perseverance, godliness, mutual affection and love. Here's why, verse 8. For if you possess these qualities in increasing measure, they will keep you from being ineffective and unproductive in your knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. That these things will keep you from being ineffective and unproductive, which means there is a way to have an ineffective and unproductive faith. An ineffective and unproductive knowledge of Jesus. He's saying, no, I'm warning you. There's a part of being a Christ follower, designed for being a Christ follower, that you're to be effective and productive. And he gives these qualities. And, and this week in your small groups, your small group guide has the opportunity for you to drill into each of these qualities. And, and I'm not going to go into them with you now. And I also, in your app, 
you can go to a link that's going to expand for you a lot of teaching on this passage. Because news flash for you, when you come to church, it's not my job to feed you, baby. It's to make you hungry. It, it's to give you a hunger for God. And I want to resource you, inspire you, encourage you, challenge you, and then give you resources for you to choose on your own outside of this setting to grow because that's when you're going to see exponential growth in your walk with Jesus. And so go into this stuff. Look into it. Dig into it. Pray. Seek. Learn. But all these attributes, these seven different attributes, are all about loving God and loving your neighbor. I mean, that shouldn't surprise anybody. It's the basics of following Jesus. It's love God with all your heart, soul, strength, and mind. Love your neighbor. And these are attributes that kind of paint a picture of what that looks like. And he's warning and encouraging Christians that an effective and productive faith always adds. An ineffective and unproductive faith sleeps. I mean, it's like two different types of Christianity. It's I'll follow you. I trust you, Jesus. I believe in you. I know you, Jesus. And because of that, I'm growing. I'm adding. I'm expanding. I'm transforming. I'm leaning in. I'm pursuing. I'm awake. And the other is, I know you, Jesus. You forgive me for my sins, and I'll sleep and one day and wake up, I guess, in your presence, and that's cool. High five. He's sorting out. Okay, there's one path. It's all through faith in Jesus Christ, but as you come through faith in Jesus Christ, there's one way to God the Father, and as you come through that way, and you put your trust in Jesus, now there's a split, the ineffective, unproductive path and the effective and productive path. Defines who you are. One is self-centered and asleep. One is awake, growing, pursuing character traits, that make us look more and more like Jesus. Peter warns them in verse 9, whoever does not have these character traits, them, whoever doesn't have them, is nearsighted and blind, forgetting that they have been cleansed from their past sins. Nearsighted and blind. Strong words again. There is a way to follow Jesus, to have faith in Jesus that's nearsighted and blind forgetting that Jesus died for your sins. I mean, is that what you want to describe your walk with Jesus? Ineffective, productive, nearsighted, and blind. He's painting a picture of what this journey, this fight to the finish is going to look like for you and me. One is effective, productive, awake, alive, alert to God's Spirit, growing, transforming, into the image of Jesus, and one is asleep at the wheel, hoping for the day that you get your out-of-jail card from Jesus. It's a warning. I think this is the Christian that knows and believes Jesus is Lord. Like you could say, I know Jesus. I know I need him. I know that he died. I know that he rose again. I know that I'm supposed to believe and trust in him. I go through the Christian motions. I have the right answers. I might do some Christian-type things. I put my hope and trust in Jesus. Yeah, 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 yeah. He's warning. This self-focused, self-centered type of faith is not God's design for you. So the question is, 
Is your faith marked by goodness, knowledge, self-control, perseverance, godliness, mutual affection, and love? I mean, is this, is this what defines your existence as a Christ follower? Are these the things that you pursue? Well, following Jesus, there is only one way to God the Father, faith in Him. But as you have your faith in Him, are these the character traits that mark your life? He's inviting us to something bigger, greater, that is effective and productive, and it is not nearsighted or blind to the sacrifice that Christ has made for us. And you might say, who cares? You might go, well, isn't this is all that matters that I, that I get to heaven, that I believe in Jesus? Isn't that all that makes a difference that I'm in? I'm welcomed into the family. I'm adopted. He paid for my sins. Isn't that good enough? Do I need to be effective and productive? I think Peter answers that in the next two verses. He gives three really important and I think practical reasons why supplementing, adding to your faith these things has practical purpose for us. Listen, he says, therefore, again, in light of all of this, therefore, my brothers and sisters, make every effort to confirm your calling and your election. For if you do these things, you will never stumble, and you will receive a rich welcome into the eternal kingdom of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Therefore, my brothers and sisters, make every effort to confirm your calling. For if you do these things, you'll never stumble. You'll receive a rich welcome into the eternal kingdom. So a couple practical things about this. Adding to my faith in, these, in this way assures me of my place in God's family. So have you ever doubted that you're in Christ's family? I mean, maybe you don't speak it out loud, but you ever struggle with doubt, wondering, am I really in the family of God? Am I really adopted by God? Because you look at other Christians and you, and you see how they act and how they talk and how they live, and quietly on the inside you go, I'm not like them. Does that mean I'm not a child of God? And you don't voice it. You may not say it, but you doubt. Or maybe... You've done enough stuff in your life, in the past and in the present, to wonder, does God really love me? Has God really forgiven me? Has God really removed my sins as far as the east is from the west? And you doubt you're in the family of God. You know, God doesn't doubt who's in his family. He knows. He's adopted you into his family, and once he's adopted you into his family by faith in Jesus Christ, he knows who's his, and he will never let you go which is an incredible promise and guarantee based on his faithfulness, not based on mine. But he knows that in our brokenness, we need assurance. And he's given a very practical way to gain assurance about our salvation. He says one of the reasons you should add to your faith these attributes of knowledge and goodness and self-control and perseverance and mutual affection and love. One of the reasons you should pursue those things, add those things to your faith, because as you start to grow in those ways, you will be confident you're in the family of God. Here's why. Because there's no way you could add any of those things to your life without his help. 
If you woke up today and said, I'm going to be all seven of these characteristics, I'm making a New Year's resolution, I'm going to do it, I'm going to check the box every day, I'm going to get up, and I'm going to be stronger, and I'm going to believe more, and I'm going to spirit-filled, and I'm going to, and I'm going to, I'm going to, by the end of the year, if you get all hyped up about how great you're going to be spiritually, you will not grow in any of these things. But if you say, Spirit of the living God lives inside of me, these things are what you want me to pursue. Oh, help me. Grow perseverance in me. Help me to walk that out. Help me to obey you, love you, serve you, and walk these things out. Here's what's going to happen over time. You're going to look at your spiritual self in the mirror. You are going to see that with his help, you have started to grow in these areas. And you're going to go, how did that happen? Oh, my God. Only God could do that in me. And what will that result in? Assurance that he is alive in you. Doing things you could never do yourself. Growing in godliness and self-control and perseverance and mutual affection and love. And it will give you a dose of confidence that your Father has you. And we desperately need that, don't we? More. Look what it also does. Adding to my faith these things with his help keeps me from stumbling away from God. See, we're all going to stumble. It's not if, it's when. We're all going to stumble. We're all going to trip. We're all going to fall in our faith. It's going to happen. When you fall, here's the question. When you stumble, are you going to fall away from God or on God. It's not if you're going to stumble, you will. If you stumble, are you going to fall on God or away from God? And he says that these pursuits of growing in this way are going to help you that when you fall, you will fall on him, not away from him. So the guy who wrote this, Peter, he knows something about stumbling, right? So if you read Peter's story, in the Gospels, you find that he's a really passionate follower of Jesus. He spends three and a half years with Jesus. Right before Jesus dies, he says to Peter, hey, Peter, you're going to deny me three times. And Peter goes, nah, no way, I'll never deny you. I won't stumble. And then it happens, right? Then he falls. He disowns, denies Jesus three times. But in his denying, what you find is he's walking with Jesus. He falls and stumbles, but he falls on Jesus. So the moment he recognizes his stumble and fall, he's fell on Jesus. So that Jesus then catches them, and when the risen Christ comes to him, picks Peter up and puts him back on his feet and starts to use him again for the kingdom of God, restores him fully, he stumbled and fell on Jesus, and it changes everything. There's another guy that was following Jesus around the same time. His name is Judas. Oh, he looked the part. But he was pursuing something other than Jesus. He was pursuing financial gain. And when he stumbled and didn't get what he wanted from his pursuit, he stumbled and fell, and he fell away from God and away from hope. Peter's giving us practical encouragement that pursuing these loving attributes with God's help, that when you fall, because as Christians, while we wait to see Jesus face to face, 
we're going to pursue something. We're going to pursue financial gain. We're going to pursue advancement in our career. We're going to pursue comfort, health, wisdom, education. We're going to pursue people's acceptance and affirmation. We're going to pursue something. And he's saying, your top pursuit should be me. And when you pursue me and these things start to grow in you, that when you stumble and you fall, because it will happen, you'll fall on me. But when you're pursuing any number of other things and you stumble or fall, you fall away from me. This is very practical and helpful. Adding to my faith guarantees me a rich welcome into God's kingdom. A rich welcome. So have you ever been invited somewhere? Someone says, hey, you should come over for dinner or come to this party. And you get to the place that you were invited to, and you, like, there's nobody at the door. You ring the doorbell, you knock. Like, the door's open. So you walk in, you get inside, and you're, like, sheepish, approaching, moving in. Like, you know you're supposed to be there, but you're a little bit nervous. Like, am I, like, where, versus the times that you've been invited somewhere, you get to the place, person sees you coming, they open the door, they welcome you in, they hug you, they kiss you, and they give you a Coke. Like the difference between being welcomed and richly welcomed. Is there a difference? Oh, you might just say, well, I just want to be welcomed. Okay. Have fun settling for that. When Peter drops in that phrase, richly welcome, I want that. I want his rich welcome into his family. So, so I try to imagine what that means theologically. What does a rich welcome into the kingdom of heaven look like mean? Certainly theologically it means that when I take my final breath, to be absent from the body means to be present with the Lord, and so I will be in Christ's presence, and I will be welcomed with his nail-pierced hands. And that is probably more incredible than we can imagine. That we'll be welcomed that way. But is it okay to, to use my imagination? I'm just imagining with you. Is there a way that what Peter's trying to get to here, to say the rich welcome is maybe broader than that? I'm using my imagination. Track with me for a minute. That when you place your faith and trust in Jesus, you live here on earth waiting to see Jesus face to face. You're not intended to coast. You're not intended to sleep. You're intended to be productive and effective, not forgetting that you were cleansed from your past sins. You're expected, designed to live in the divine nature and love people. So imagine if you start to say, Spirit of God, grow in me godliness that I might look like you. Grow in me mutual affection for people I don't have affection for. Grow in me love for people that are far from you. Grow in me perseverance so that when I face difficulty, I walk through it and I don't give up. Grow in me self-control so I watch my mouth, watch my attitudes, watch my actions. And I so grow in these ways as a son or daughter of God that I make an impact on the people around me. And it makes such an impact that they see the living God is alive and real and maybe changes the course of their eternal destiny because they come to know that Jesus really loves them through my actions, through God working through me, my hands, my feet. 
And maybe they go to heaven before me. And when I take my final breath, and my Savior welcomes me with open arms, the paparazzi on the red carpet into heaven are all those I served and prayed for and loved and fought for justice and fed and cared about because it wasn't about me, but I made an internal impact. And the paparazzi of welcome is all these people that I, through the help of Christ, I wasn't asleep, I was awake. I was effective and productive, and I used my life to count And now, that's a rich welcome that I want. I want a rich welcome. And it's about how I spend my life now with your help, God. I can be asleep or awake. Awaken me. With your help, God, I can be different. I can make an impact on my coworkers and my friends and my family. With your help, God, I can be alive. I can be alive in this faith and participate in the divine nature of who you are. You can be that person. Choose to add to your faith goodness and to goodness knowledge and to knowledge self-control and to self-control perseverance and to perseverance godliness to godliness, mutual affection, and to mutual affection, love. For if you possess these qualities in increasing measure, they will keep you from being ineffective and unproductive in your knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. Father, you're so gracious and merciful, slow to anger and abounding in love. Father in heaven, You put up with rebels, rebels like me, and you give, in your mercy, you give Jesus, who lived and died and rose again. Not only are my sins forgiven, but I have a purpose on this earth. Awaken us from our slumber. Awaken us and keep us from ineffective and unproductive faith. Only you can grow in us these character traits. And as these character traits grow, use us, our hands and feet, our mouths, our gifts, our talents, our money, to impact other people and change the course of history and eternity, the people were around. This is incredibly mind-boggling, that you would choose to use us, broken, doubting, stumbling, kids, to impact others, but that's how gracious you are, how patient you are. So use me. Use us. We long for a rich welcome into your kingdom forever and ever. To your glory, amen.